want to look at a probably a familiar verse to most of us, but it's good to go back to uh, familiar verses and to recalibrate our, our hearts and our souls on these uh, bedrock truths. Psalm 51. Uh, psalm 51 is a psalm that the Lord uh, led David to write. And this is after he had sinned with Bathsheba. It was after he had plotted the murder of Uriah the Hittite, and he was killed, he was murdered. And it was also after David stood before Nathan the prophet, and Nathan called him on the carpet about his sin, and uh, what a scene that was. Thankfully, David did not pull rank from a kingly standpoint and you know, say, off with your head or throw you into prison. That was done by kings. That's what happened to Jeremiah. When the king didn't like what Jeremiah the prophet had to say, they, they threw him in a pit. Uh, but David did the right thing at this point, and that was he admitted his wrongdoing. He, he came to the truth. You know, we can evade the truth, but we can't avoid the truth. Because God is truth. What, what, a, what a farce it is for us to think that somehow that we can go through our lives and we can put up barriers and that somehow uh, we can best God at what He is doing and coming after us for our own good, right? Uh, we can become very almost infantile, very adolescent in our behavior as Christians by not responding rightly to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we've done wrong. Now, the wonderful thing is to know that God, and this, this is the way I usually put it with people, when we're saved, we know that one of the things that's happened is we're sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. That's a divine work. No, no human infraction, no, no sin that we can commit can undo God's divine work of the new birth in a man or woman's heart. You know, if we're saved, we're saved. We've been adopted into the family of God. And that's a wonderful blessing. But that doesn't prevent us, unfortunately, from even willfully choosing to do wrong sometimes. David was an example of that. Uh, he never stopped being a child of God, and that's why God disciplined him and chastened him. God chastens those whom he loves, right? We understand that. And while we might not think it to be pleasant or joyous at the time, it might seem grievous, and yet it yields a wonderful fruit in the end. We understand that. And when we get right with God, we're thankful for God's dealing with us, aren't we? Like, Lord, thank you for not leaving me alone. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, you know, prodding me, poking me and bringing me to this, this wonderful point. And that's exactly what was going on in David's life. Psalm 51 in verse 10, the whole psalm is just rich, but for the sake of what we can really profit by in one evening here, I want to just focus on this one part of his cry. And this is where David says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We sang about that tonight, didn't we? About our sins being blotted out. That's the work of Jesus Christ. 
And while all of our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ from the moment that we get saved, there needs to be the confessing. If we confess our sin, John tells us, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, the relationship isn't broken, but the fellowship is marred, right? We understand that. And, and we ought to be grieved by losing that fellowship. And we ought to want to very rapidly and very soon want to have that fellowship with our Heavenly Father restored. It should be noted that David makes a, a very public confession about his sin. How do we know it's public? It's published in our Bibles. That's about as public as it gets, right? Now, we know these are David's words, but we also know that they are more properly the words of God. The Holy, they are, these are inspired, breathed out uh, by God word. All of Scripture is that. We understand that. And yet it has the tone, it has the timbre, it has the melody of David's vocabulary and his personal life here. And so what we really have here is a, a prayer psalm. Now, not all psalms are written in the form of a prayer, but this one is. Some of them are, you know, celebrations of God and who He is. Sometimes they're crying out in desperation for God to deal with the enemy. Uh, some of it is for celebrating God's long-suffering and His mercy in people's lives. But leading up to this verse, we see, number one, David's honesty about his sin. Notice verse 4. He, he doesn't pull any punch. He doesn't try to uh, sugarcoat this. Let's put it that way. He says, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Now, you might say, well, his sin was against a woman named Bathsheba. His sin was against Uriah, her husband, and we'd be right in that. And we could even say his sin was against the nation of Israel as a leader and failing them to be an honorable man in that, in that role, and that would also be true. But David is, is putting it on the highest level of infraction. He says, but ultimately, I know when I've sinned, I'm sinning against my God. And truthfully, even when we're involved in the horizontal plane of an infraction against someone else, we need to understand we're still sinning against God in that way. That's why Jesus taught in the New Testament, if you realize that you've wronged your brother and you're about to make an offering at the altar to God, he says, go get things right with that person first, horizontal level, right, other humans, then come back. And make your offering. And so it is. We need to understand that principle in life. You say, you know, yes, you know, I was, I was cruel to my spouse in some way. I was neglectful towards a family member. Say, I wronged them. Yes, but let's be truthful. We wronged God. We sinned against God. And we, and we need to call it what it is, just as David is doing here. Honesty over sin. And then in verse 5, we see his humility. He says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. You know, it's, we, we sometimes uh, whitewash sins. And sometimes we have our list in our minds of really egregious, harsh, 
wicked sins, and oh, I would never do those. And it's usually what? Well, you know, when I, you know, and you've done this, right? You've witnessed to a neighbor or someone like that, and you know, say, well, the Bible says for all have sinned, you know? Uh, do, do you think that that's true? Yeah, you know, I've probably done some wrong things. Well, you know, I've never, and what do they always go to? I've never murdered anybody, right? And that's a, that's a pretty, that, you know, there's probably not too many sins that are more egregious than that, okay? And yet, Bible tells us that, that sin is the transgressing of God's law. And there's a whole lot more to God's law than thou shalt not kill, right? And sometimes I just jump right to commandment number 10. Thou shalt not what? Covet. That gets us all, right? We probably can't go a day without coveting, you know? Having a wanting, longing heart improperly, you know, for something. And it can be just a split second and you realize, you know, Lord, forgive me for that. What we really have to do is, is not... Uh, build our self-esteem like, well, well, we're pretty good people. No, it's like the hymn writer said, for such a warm as I. I you know, sometimes you know, updated hymn books change the wording of that. I, I think that the Puritans got it right when you read how they talked about their own wickedness and stuff. You think, wow, they're the scum of the earth. Well, that's how they saw themselves, and that's how we should see ourselves as sinners. We're, you know, we're the reason Jesus, the Son of God, had to die on the cross. And whether it's coveting or murder, or whether it's lust, or whether it's gluttony, or whether it's gossip, or whatever it is, it's sin. It's breaking God's divine design. We need to be humble. And then in verses 7 and 9, we see David's request for cleansing, purge me with hyssop. He's making reference to some of the motifs, some of the systems in the uh, Jewish worship system and what they would do outwardly. Uh, and he says, you know, hide thy face uh, from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. David is just really pouring out his heart, pleading with God to restore him in this way. And then we come to verse 10 where he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. You can hear the, the impelling tone of his voice when he stops midway and says, O God, right? This is his prayer. And, and so, and we know this, right? When we're talking and we stop and we insert someone's name in the middle of a conversation, it's like, you know, we want that person to know, I'm, I'm in earnestly talking to you about this. And that's why I'm calling your name out once again. You know, not that there's anyone else around here that I'm talking to, but it, again, it shows that earnestness in David's heart. And so what is this a prayer for? I would call this a prayer for repair. A repairing of the soul, a repairing of the, of the fellowship here. And, and there's really two parts to this verse. And, and, the, and, and it shows the two needs that are necessary when we recognize that we've wronged God, we've sinned, and we need to come back to Him. And what are those two components? What are those two needs? Number one, it's pure affections. Pure affections. Quite simply, what David is doing here and what we need to follow his pattern in is asking God, help me to love the right things. It is so easy to love the wrong things. Read Romans 7, you hear Paul. Paul, like super Christian, right? Paul. 
And yet even himself talks about, you know, the things that I know I should do, I don't. The things I know I ought not do, those things I do. And we can just say, I'm right there with you, Paul, right? We can relate with that. And sometimes we just wish, you know, that God would just overwhelm our wanter. You know, I wish that I couldn't want to sin. You know, I wish that when I woke up every morning, I just automatically wanted to do everything right. And I had no inclinations. But we know sin is present with us, as Paul puts it. We, we know that we still have the flesh. We know the day is coming. The Holy Spirit with us right now is the down payment that eventually will be fully and entirely glorified, and, and that, will, that will change for us. But for the time being, we, we, we walk through life dependent upon God's grace, crying out for God for direction, humbly dependent upon Him. And so what does he say in this verse? He says, create in me what kind of heart? A clean heart. But notice he uses the word create. Create, the Hebrew word here behind it is bara, which is simply important to know because it's the same word that's used in Genesis 1 when God did this for everything. God created. And, there, and there's nothing that came into existence, according to John 1, that that wasn't created by God. How was it created? It's interesting, the, the Latin translation of that same text in Genesis 1.1 is the, the phrase ex nihilo, which simply means out of nothing. God didn't start with anything. You know, when we're making supper, we pull out ingredients, Right? You know, if you said you're going to make supper out of nothing, you'd pretty, be pretty lean right now, right? You, you and I need building blocks. You need substance. But God is God. He doesn't need that. But it's interesting when, when David's talking about this, he doesn't say refurbish my heart. He says create it. Part of that is so almost his admission of saying, I know that in me there isn't anything that's really worth using. I need you to do something that is with your own uh, starting elements, your own ingredients. The Holy Spirit may have moved David to select that word to depict his absolute void of materials in which he could reconstruct his righteousness within him. You know, sometimes people in their own minds thinking, you know, I need God's forgiveness but it's almost like they think God needs their help in that process too. And as long as we feel like we can sort of clean ourselves up, we can meet God halfway, we don't have the right picture of repentance, folks. It's when we realize, Lord, I am powerless. I have nothing. You know, and in fact, if I try to get my hands involved in this, immediately it's going to be messed up. You know, I'm, I'm polluted. I'm flawed. I can't, I can't fix myself. And that's really where we have to come to ourselves, isn't it? I'm told by the prophet, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. One commentator pointed out that that's the same description that was used of the, the wrappings that the lepers used of their open sores. What a 
putrefying picture that is. And, and, and that's what God says. That's how I want you to look at your own good attempts, your own good efforts. And what should that drive us to do? It should drive us back in humility and say, Lord, you've got to do it. You know, I, I am not even a, an able helper here. Ezekiel 36, 26, the prophet put it this way. A new heart also, God is speaking, a new heart also will I give you. Notice that, not a refurbished heart. You know, sometimes I, and you've probably done this before, you can go shopping for something, and if it's online, they'll say, well, you can buy this new, or you can buy this a little bit cheaper, refurbished, right? You know, and it's like, mm, should I do it, you know? And, uh, and sometimes we do, and we, we regret it, right? And yet, in the human world, we know that sometimes new lets us down, too. You know, I bought brand new stuff and kind of found that sometimes in, in this realm of buying product, sometimes you get something with a little age on it. You know, it, it's had the, um, you know, a little bit of time on it to show its worthiness. But that is not the way it works, folks. That is not the way it works when it comes to our spiritual heart. We need a brand new heart. And God says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will, I will give you a heart of flesh. A supple harp, heart, a heart that can be moldable by God's spirit is what he's saying there. And he's saying this to people who saw themselves as being pretty righteous people, right? These were the people of God, the Jewish people. He says, no, you're hard-hearted. Your own self-righteousness has made you hard. The only thing that could make them soft was the humility and abjectness of saying, God, I totally need you. And so there is the creation that needs to take place. But then there's this description of the heart being clean, literally mean pure, or as one commentator put it, separated from sin. I need a heart that's separated from sin. They often talked about animals in the sacrificial system as being clean and unclean, right? Now, that was because God designated them that way. And, and that's what made them so. Uh, things like cattle, sheep, goats, pigeons, turtle doves. God said, this is the accepted list. And, and it wasn't because there was something unique about the biology, the anatomy of these particular animals in that way. It was because God ordained them that way. That's what God said it. Okay, then that's what we need to do. God, interestingly enough, told Noah to take seven times more of those kind of animals than of the other animals. Everything else was in twos, right? But of those, he said, take seven times as many. Possibly for sacrificing uh, after they came off the ark. You know, we don't have a bent for cleanness, spiritually speaking. We, our bent is to uncleanness. In 2 Peter chapter 2, the, uh, the apostle there is talking about the bent of humanity, and he's really talking to believers, not just lost people here, but to believers. And he speaks of people who, again, are entangled and, and turn from the holy commandment. And then he uses this description. He says, those people are like the washed sow, the pig, that goes back to wallowing in the mire. 
Doesn't that describe us, even as God's children sometimes? You know, it's like, Lord, I was here, I was on my knees, I was asking you to forgive me, you washed me, you restored me, and I was, I was so thankful you did. And it was a great day, and I was enjoying my fellowship with you. And here it is, it's, it's not even a week later. And what is wrong with me? You know, I've gone right back into the mud of this world. And I know better, right? I, I, I know that it didn't make me happy before. It didn't give me long-lasting satisfaction. You know, the problem is, it's our nature. We need a change in nature. Can you change your nature? You can't change your nature. Who can change your nature, though? God can change your nature. He really can. It's kind of like watching children playing outside, you know. They're clean. They've had a bath, you know. And yet, somehow, you just can't keep them separated from the dirt out there, right? There's like dirt magnets is what we used to call our, you know, our kids. And uh, it's like, you've got to keep them clean enough. We're going to take pictures, honey, okay? And I'm thinking, you know, shamefully to say, that's, that's in my heart. And yet, God can do a work. God does do a work as we yield ourselves to him. We don't have just to wait to heaven. He can build and create this brand new heart inside of us as believers that wants the right things in our lives. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a, what kind of creature? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so there is this definite need for pure affections. What a way for us to pray, just as David exemplifies for us. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Help my heart to long for things that honor Christ. Help, help, my, help my wants to be that which lifts up you, my Heavenly Father. But not just only pure affections, but secondly, we see proper attention. Because the second part of the verse says, renew a right spirit within me. What's he talking about here? In other words, he's saying, help my inner man stay spiritually focused. And that again is a struggle. It doesn't naturally happen for us. The human spirit is being compared to an altar, we might say. An altar where sacrifices are made. And we may sometimes lose our spirit of devotion to God and sacrifice to God and humility before God, which are all dispositions we have at the altar. And again, I'm talking about not a physical stone altar, but as we come to that altar in our minds and our hearts to worship the Lord. So what are the significance of these words, renew? Literally has the idea of to repair or rebuild. A different, very different word than create, which means from, almost from scratch, right? As we saw. But renew is the idea of rebuilding. We have a wonderful account in 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 8 where King Asa hears the prophecy of Obed and the, the need to put away the idolatry in the land. It wasn't a new message, but unfortunately not all the kings would heed the prophets of God. But Asa hears this. And he puts away all the idolatry. And then it says in 2 Chronicles 15, verse 8, he renewed the altar of the Lord. Same word. He renewed the altar of the Lord. Now, what do we picture there? The altar probably wasn't completely 
taken away. There was probably some manifestation of the altar there, but it was in disrepair. Altars, you know, might have been made out of stone at different points. Then you have the altar that was the, the brazen altar that God uh, had commissioned uh, Solomon in the building of the temple there. But if this was, whatever this was, it was needing fixed up. It needed some tweaking it was not that the altar had been mistreated. It wasn't like someone had come along and sprayed graffiti on it, to use today's imagery. But you know what? For something to fall in disrepair, you don't have to mistreat it. All you have to do is become careless with it, right? Many of us are homeowners, or we live in some sort of home, and you, know, you, you have to do the upkeep of it, right? You don't have to mistreat it. But over time, you know, and I was reminded of this as I was working on this, um, because several, about oh, maybe five or six years ago, I personally remodeled. I'm getting less and less of doing this and wanting to hire someone like my son-in-law to do the work for me now at this point. But back in the day, back in the day, uh, I did some of this myself, and I remodeled our one bathroom, and I enjoyed doing it. And... Uh, put new plumbing fixtures in and tile floor and all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, you would like to be able to say, I'm going to do it, you know, remodel it, and, you know, it's, it's just going to stay this way. But then, you know, I noticed that, you know, as I went to take a shower in there the other day, that, you know, water's coming out of the faucet handle. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not supposed to happen, you know. And I'm like, it didn't work this way when I got it. You know, and this is the guest bathroom. I'm pretty sure that the guests aren't in here with some hammer, like, mistreating it and vandalizing it or anything. So, you know, I turn the water off, and I start taking out the screws and the, the valves and the gaskets and stuff. And, you know, and there's corrosion, there's buildup, and there's lime deposits. And now the springs don't have, they're not as taut as they once were, so they're not seated as well as they once were. So I'm driving to Lowe's, and I'm buying their overpriced little replacement kits, you know, if I, a little spring why can they charge eleven dollars for this little spring and rubber gasket you know and you put it all back in there and you screw it all back together and it's like brand new you know and it's like so gratifying right but you know what no one had to mistreat it it just had to get left alone and become careless with it we understand how that works in real life guess what the same thing will happen with our souls if we become careless with it You've got to stay on top of your soul, my friend. You've got to make sure that you are examining yourselves, lining up the Word of God. And it needs tightening. It needs calibrating. The Spirit of God will do that. You have to line yourself up with the teachings and the principles of Scripture. We have to keep coming back to the altar in our heart and say, Lord, I need your guidance in my life. I've begun to drift away from you and thinking I could handle certain things and got a little bit too big for my own britches here. Forgive me for that. I haven't done anything really wicked, but that's been sort of putting blinders on me because I've thought, you know, I'm not out murdering. There's the murder right again, right? I'm not out murdering anybody. But my, my time of devotion and prayer is not what it once was. And so I know things are not right between me and you like they once were. 
We need renewed. And what needs renewed? Our spirit needs to be right. Literally, the idea is to be upright or constant. If this was a stone altar, the picture is putting the stones back in place, but also keeping them in place because the altar is in continuous use. Might get bumped around, you know. You're putting a heavy animal up there to be burned. It might might topple something, you know. There's wear and tear there. Paul told the Ephesian elders when he met with them, probably for the last time as far as we know, and he knew this, and so he's like, okay, what do I want to communicate to these people? And among other things, he said in Acts 20, verse 32, he said of God to these elders, the word of his grace is able to build you up. So you might be saying, okay, pastor, you told me that I need to be upright. I need to have a spirit that's right. How does that help happen? Well, according to the book of Acts, what Paul was, was rightly teaching the elders is it's the word of his grace. What's the word of his grace? It's the word of God. And I know it may seem cliche-ish, but as one, one person said, whoever it was, you know, the, 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 the devil will keep you from this book, or the, 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 the book will keep you from the devil, or this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And we can't really underscore enough the importance of not just reading it, but really letting it filter into the crevices of our soul, hiding it, meditating on it, munching on it, mulling it over, considering it, praying it back to God. Philippians 4, 5 reminds us that we might have a, if we have a stone of temperance fall off of our, our spirit and the altar of our heart, Philippians 4 says, let your moderation be made known unto all men. That, that verse, what does that do? It's like I read that and the Spirit of God says, see there? You've lost that spirit of moderation in your life in some area, whatever it might be. It's so easy to become, you know, intemperate, you know, imbalanced in some area of our life. We go to extremes in something, you know, off this way or off that way. And it could be something wholesome in our life right we started off and you know it could be someone even doing something that's benevolent let me use an example like this you know start helping out your neighbors and you get sort of a high off of helping your neighbors you know anytime you need me and what happens you get all the you know the pats on the back and oh you're so great you know and if it's a man you know the the woman saying oh to the wife you know you are so lucky to be married to him you know and you know you, you just kind of get on to this and one thing after another and before you know it a couple weeks go by a couple months will go by and you know maybe you've been neglecting your time in the word and prayer and you don't even realize you're drifting away from god well i'm doing great things but you become intemperate right should you stop helping people altogether no of course not that's a good thing do good unto all men especially them which are of the household of faith but don't neglect all the things that God would have you to be doing in his life. What about the stone of patience? That hits us all, right? You know, the stone of patience topples. And what usually happens when we become impatient is it's manifested in irritability. I mean, almost always. Truthfully, we probably don't see it in ourselves so much as people around us, and usually our family, and absolutely our spouse, right? And they may not even say anything. They just may be gracious. Well, you know. He's had a hard day. She's had a tough day or whatever. 
you know, but, you know, road rage, what is it? It's impatience, right? Uh-oh, I hit a, hit a sore note somewhere. <laughs> and, and, and what happens? We get a little irritable. And if it's left untreated, what happens? And unaddressed, we get angry. What does the Bible say in Ephesians 4.26? We're reading along our devotions. Oh, be angry and sin not. Oh, you know. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Why am I angry? Why am I so tense? Why am I so, ah, I'm just riding around, you know? I'm going to get there, you know? Oh, my stone of patience is toppled. Lord, thank you for showing that. Renew that spirit inside of me. What about the stone of wholesome speech toppling? That's an easy one. Sometimes it can topple and... Well, we're just joking around. It's just being good-natured jabbing and so forth like that. And a lot of stuff can fly under the radar and can actually hurt people and do some damage under the umbrella of just good-natured joking. We've got to be careful about that, don't we? And then we're reading along, and it says in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Oh, Holy Spirit, that hurt, but thank you. I need that. Lord, yes. I've, I've not been careful. My tongue's gotten a little out of control. You know, my mind's not thinking right. I'm not respecting people like I should. And I probably hurt some people I need to go back to. I, I don't want corrupt communication. Lord, renew a right spirit inside of me. See how this works? But it all begins where? In our personal time with God, asking Him, just like David's doing. I've got to get God to be guiding me through this. It's not just about me turning over a new leaf. It is proper for us to declare our intention to God of remaining steadfast. Later in Psalm 57, verse 7, if you flip over there, David makes this statement. And he can't be wrong because God chose to include it in Scripture. He says, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Maybe there is a little bit of hopefulness in this statement. We know that his heart always wasn't fixed because we just read about how his heart began to, to waver and how it got off the map, right? But we do need to have a resolution. God, I, I, I want to keep my heart fixed on you. And, and if that begins to drift, if it begins to get out of kilter, you know, come pounding on my heart. Prick me. And let me see that in my life. You know, what we're seeing here maybe bringing up some, some corners, some shadowy areas of our heart and life that, you know, maybe that we've kind of just been aware of, but we ignore them a little bit. And as we look in the Word of God tonight, it's like, oh, yeah, this is an area that needs to be handled. And it is good for us to triage our souls. It is good for us to examine. I remember when we bought our house where we live now, our our first next-door neighbor uh, to the side of us was an older lady in her 80s, and she was, she was going blind. She still lived alone, you know, and was trying to keep her independence. And my wife, very sweetly, would try to take her places. And she was the kind of lady that, uh, you know, she didn't want to mail any of her, her bills or checks in. She wanted to drive it to the water company, the electric company, you know, and sort of like that. And so, you know, Becky made a big fun thing out of this, and, She'd pile the kids in the car because the kids were small. And, you know, they would take Grandma Savage is what they, the kids called her. Grandma Savage, 
take her shopping and all these kinds of things and, and made a fun thing out of it. But one thing I remember about Grandma Savage, she's passed away now after she had moved up to New Jersey to be near family, but she was very meticulous about her home. She couldn't do it herself, and she couldn't really even see too well, you know, but she wanted to make sure her home was kept up. And like no one else, I mean, if, if, uh, if the paint began to fade a little somewhere here or get chipped or something like that, you know, w most people would just kind of let, oh, that's just normal wear and tear. She had a painter come at least once or twice a year, and he, he, she made him go over that outside of that house and, and touch up every single spot. And I remember thinking, I'm like, it's probably a little overkill, you know, doing it that often and sort of like that, but her house never looked shabby because she kept up on it. And then one day as I was reading the Scripture and thinking about and that, that, that came to my mind, I was thinking, you know, if we treated our soul that way, if we had that kind of level of meticulous concern and care about the health of our soul, you know, what kind of walk would we have with the Lord? But sometimes we let things slide. And, you know, and, and, and I've, I remember I built a shed in my backyard and uh, I started to notice some deterioration of the, of the wood, the siding on it, you know, would get a little wet. And then the paint began to fleck. And then all of a sudden it began to crackle. Uh, the, um, the actual the material began to absorb the water and it began to de decompose and so forth like that. And I thought, boy, I should have been on top of that paint. And immediately, you know who came to my mind? Grandma Savage. I thought, if I had stayed on it, the problem wouldn't have gotten so severe. That's how we need to be in our prayer life, looking at our soul's health. Lord, help things not to get radically out of repair. Lord, help me to see the little areas of my life. Help, help me not to minimize anything if I'm drifting away from you. If it's a sin, it's a sin. If it's a deviation in my love for you, then it's wrong. And Lord, help me to be as concerned about it as your heart is concerned about it. And may we be praying regularly just as... David prays here, Lord, create in me a clean heart. O oh God, renew a right spirit within me. And what a blessed walk we'll have with our Savior. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. May we take to heart a well-beloved passage of Scripture. And Lord, may it do the convincing work in our souls that only your Scripture can do. May, it, may we sense the sword of the Spirit tonight in this verse. And may it find its way to shave and to cut and to penetrate the areas of our thinking and our persuasions and our habits that are not right, that are not pleasing to you, that we might have the wonderful, unbridled joy and walk with you that you so destined us to have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.